pray. Lord, as we uh, do kind of get back into Ezra, it's been a while, Lord, I do pray that, that God, you would, you would just speak to our hearts. What an encouragement to read this book and, and watch you move in that miraculous way of, of bringing the, the people of Israel back into their land and, and the way you restored them. And so, Lord, I pray that, that it would just be a time of encouragement for us, of strengthening for us, and that we would realize that, that our God, that there's nothing too hard for you. I know we sing it sometimes, and, and uh, Lord, it comes out of our mouth, but I, I pray that as we watch people experience it, that, Lord, that would cause us to trust you more, believe in you more, and, Lord, to walk with you. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a while. If you remember, we kind of started this in chapter 7. Ezra got the letter. He's getting ready to go back. Chapter 7 was kind of preparatory, giving us a letter. Now chapter 8, we're getting ready to move out and go back with Ezra. Now here's the interesting thing. 80 years ago in chapter 2, the first wave of people went back. So it's been a while. It's been 20 years since the temple's been uh, restored. So a lot of stuff has gone gone on. And I kind of think about Ezra kind of hanging back all that time and and, uh, what had to be going on in his heart and and things that he was thinking about and and maybe even thinking, man, am I ever going to get to go back and what's going to happen with me and and et cetera. So now now it's kind of his time to to shine. But I also think he's got to be freaking out. Because now he's about to take that step to do something, and it's got to be, for him, that whole unknown. You know, sometimes we read our Bible, and we think all of these guys, like, read the Bible already, too. And they haven't read this yet. They haven't experienced this. So here's a group, probably, I'm, I'm estimating, of up, up to about 5,000 people are getting ready to take a journey, about a 1,000-mile journey, Now, that would be difficult, right? Getting 5,000 people ready for a journey without vehicles. So they're all preparing, they're getting ready, and they're gonna take this journey, and they're gonna go back, and they're gonna get back to the land that they were deported from over, well, now it's probably been almost 150 years ago. That's a long time. So it starts out in verse one, and here, here's, here's a thing I think should really hit our hearts. These are the heads of their father's houses, and this is a genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes. So again, if you've kind of forgotten or you haven't been here, you can go back tonight. You can read chapter seven to get the idea. In chapter seven, he got the permission to go back from Artaxerxes, got the letter, everything's in place, and now as he's getting ready to go, I want us to pay attention as he gathers the people to go, notice who he gathers, the fathers. The fathers, why? Because the fathers are the ones who are gonna lead their families they're gonna bring their families to that place. And, and just, you know, just a, a, a spiritual note for us, dads, we're the ones that are supposed to lead our families in this thing called Christianity. And we're the ones that are supposed to 
be taking our families on this journey. And these guys are going on a dangerous, horrific journey in so many ways, but the dads are stepping up and they're stepping out and they're gonna do it. And I, I, I'm blessed by that. I'm excited when I read that here it's the fathers taking that stand and going. And you know, I pray all the time for our fellowship that, that dads, that we would step up and we would be the leaders. And we would be the ones taking our family on this journey called Christianity and walking them through it. So Ezra gets them together, and now he's going to name a whole bunch of people that we're not going to read. Now, we're not going to do it because I love Lisa, and I don't want her to have to sign them all. Otherwise, I would do it, but Lisa would have to spell them all. That's a joke. I didn't want her fingers to wear out. So we're going we're gonna to kind of... Did you give me a sign? <laughs> it's funny, we discussed this earlier, because, I mean, can you imagine trying to spell all these names and do them? So anyway, I'm not gonna do it because you know what? I have just a hard time saying these names as you guys do, and you guys can read them on your own and kind of figure them out. And you can give them nicknames, that's what I do. I nickname them all and do stuff. But you get to the end, you read all of this, you add it up, and there's about almost 1,500 men is where I come up with about 5,000 people. So he lists the leaders. Now here's an interesting thing. Here's a fun thing to do for homework. Take this list and go back to chapter two and look at the list that left in the beginning with Zerubbabel, and here's what you're gonna find out. A lot of the same family members. So some of the family members waited decades before they followed along and went. That I, I find it interesting, and it's almost, you know, it's, it's interesting how many are the same ones. So do that for homework. I was gonna do that for you guys, but I'd like you to do homework. So do that for homework, especially if you can't sleep tonight, you read names, it'll kinda help. So we go through this, we have 1,500, so he gets all of these, now, now listen, kinda, kinda get this in mind. He has all of these people together, and it's time to go. Let's go, guys. We're gonna go to Jerusalem. I mean, can you imagine their excitement? They've not been there. They've not been back to the place that was their roots and, and where they could worship their God in the temple. And, and so I can, I can just imagine the buzz going through everybody and, and they're excited to go and they get ready to go and then all of a sudden he stops. Look at verse 15. Now I gathered them by the river that flows, by Ahava, or flows to Ahava and we camped there three days. So you're getting ready to go and all of a sudden, man, he goes and it, he puts the brakes on. Now, if you've done a family trip, dads, and you put the brakes on, how long is it gonna take? Are we there yet? How come we're not there yet? When are we gonna stop? When are we gonna, so, so you know, you can, can you imagine 5,000 people that you're trying to lead? And they stop, and he puts the brakes on, and he realizes, we're not all together yet. Not everybody's on board yet. And, and to me, it kind of, kind of blows my mind that you come to this place, and then he t looks around and he does an assessment, and he says, listen, they were there three days, and in the middle of verse 15, and I looked among, the, the, among the, the people and the priests, and I found that none of the sons of Levi were there. So he looks around, and all of a sudden he's going, we're missing an entire family. 
Now, to me, that's sort of mind-boggling. I would think before you left, you might take assessment of that rather than you go so far and then stop. By the way, uh, I tried to find out where this place was. It says, by the river that flows to Ahava, and we don't know where that is. It's not geographically, we can't pinpoint where that's at. But the people Ezra was writing to knew exactly where it was at. Well, we have to remember whether we're talking about the genealogies that we skipped through or those things. Listen, they were important to the people that were receiving these, uh, these writings, and they would look at them, and that made what was happening very real to them. They could say, oh, I know exactly where they stopped. I know where that was. So they stopped. He realizes there's no Levites there. So then, verse 16, then I sent for Eleazar uh, and Ariel, Shemaiah, uh, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leaders also of uh, Jorib, and, uh, and Elnathan and men, under, uh, and men of understanding. So it gives us a list here of different guys that he called together. And he gets these guys. Now these are all Levites. And he brings them together and then he says, and I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place of Cassipha, uh, Cassiphia, and I told them, what they should say to Edo and his brother, the Neph- uh, uh, and his brethren, the Nethanim, at the place of Cassiphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. So once again, kind of difficult things for us made total sense to them. And people are reading this and they're going, oh. So now we're gathering together the Levites and we're gathering together the workers that David had for the temple. So we can do what we're called to do when we get there. Here's what I love about about, uh, uh, Ezra. He's thinking ahead. Here's what he knows. We're gonna get to Jerusalem and we're gonna worship. Now I want us to think about that. How prepared do you come when you come to church to worship? Look how prepared he's getting for a journey of a thousand miles, making sure everything, and we're gonna see in more detail, everything's ready so when he gets there, he can worship his God the way that God had told them to come before him. And I kinda love that whole idea of preparation. Do we prepare our hearts when we come to church? I think sometimes we, if we're really honest, some of us have fights in the parking lot. Get out of the car, and then you walk into those doors and go, Oh, God bless you. (laughs) Hallelujah. Are we prepared? And maybe some of them were doing it too, but he gets these Levites together, brings them together, and then in verse 18, again, a little bit more preparation. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding, the sons of, uh, of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers and 18 men. And Hashabiah with him, and with him uh, Josiah, the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men. So you got 38 guys and then also the Nethanim, whom David, the leader, had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim, 
all of them were designated by name. So now we have the 38 guy Levites coming, the 220 Nethodim, and then also the 1,500 approximately leader men and their families. So now we're ready to go. It's kind of like, like you read this in like three days, you're gathering up these guys, and now it's like, let's go. And then Ezra goes, wait, we've got one more thing to do. You see, we've gathered the people, we've gathered the priests, now we need the most important. And you and I need to realize that. You see, you can do all of this preparation, but without God, you've done nothing. And I love, I love this scene. You, you kind of get the idea because I don't know about you guys, but when, when I get ready to travel, I am like the, you can ask my wife, I'm the world's worst. Like when I'm ready to go, it's time to go. And I don't, I don't want to stand in lines. I don't want to do stuff. I, I, you know, and, and me and airports are like horrible. And she's a saint because she goes through airports with me. And she goes, do you ever stop? And I go, no, we got to hurry. And sometimes we do that. And here's the thing, man. We miss out on so much. And you gotta love Ezra, man. He just like puts the brakes on. You gotta love this guy. So verse 21, it says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God and seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. Don't you love that? Hey, he had his plan. I mean, he had the letter from the king. He had everything together physically and all, all the people gathered, and then he goes, hey, we gotta make sure God is with us, and we gotta make sure we have the mind of God and the heart of God as we're, as we're going on this journey. This isn't, listen, this isn't just a journey to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. This is a spiritual walk that we have to do together, and if God is not leading us, we're gonna fail miserably. And I like, and you know, several of the, of the different commentaries I read said, this is like our journey in Christianity. And we're walking on this dangerous journey and, and hey, how much effort and time do we put where we're gonna stop and we're gonna seek the mind of God for what we have coming before us that day? Just that day. And I love Ezra goes, no man, listen, we wanna, we wanna and I, I love this idea, and you might be, if you're a Bible underliner, that we might humble ourselves, bring ourselves down, that we don't think we have it completely together. We don't walk into this place and go, hey, I got a letter from the king. Of course I can do this. Here's what Ezra's thinking. I may have a letter from the king, but if I don't have something from the king of kings, I got nothing. So, we want to make this a good journey. And then, and then as he's kind of processing things, verse 22, for I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon us, or I'm sorry, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those uh, who forsake him. So here's what's going on. He's thinking about the journey. They gotta go a thousand miles, and they gotta go through some horrible, horrible areas as far as bandits and robbers and things going on, and you're traveling with 5,000 people. You got kids, you got wives, you got all of this stuff, 
And check this out. The next part we're gonna read, you have about $51 million worth of gold and silver. Oh, yeah, you're packing some stuff. You got tons and tons. Here's what cracks me up. If, if, you, if you do the math here and figure everything out, they have tons of gold and silver that they're carrying with them. And, and I love it because people, you know, commentators go, well, I think they're exaggerating because they couldn't carry that much. You got 5,000 people. It's not that big a deal, you know, as I, as I read that. And, and I think, I, you know, I think sometimes we read stuff and we think, number one, we think that is a whole bunch. That's a whole bunch of wealth. And some of us were like anti, we talked about it Sunday, we're, we're anti-rich people and, and surely God wouldn't do that. God's not, listen, God's not poor. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I kind of love this. His people are going back to worship him. He goes, when you go back to worship me, I want you to go with the right stuff. And if, go back and read the last chapter, Artaxerxes dumped all this stuff on him. So they have all this stuff. So here's what Ezra's thinking. We got all this stuff and we're taking this journey, who's gonna protect us? And then he's going, and do you ever have these conversations with yourself when you're going through something? He's going, well, I can't ask the king, because I just told the king how great my God is. So if I ask the king to protect us, the king's gonna say, oh, I thought your God was great. I thought he was gonna protect you. How come your God's not protecting you? But, and here's, here's the dilemma, but can I really trust my God? You see, because we say a lot of things. We do things here in church, and we're worshiping, and we're safe, and hallelujah, and stuff. And then we get out in the real world, and sometimes we don't walk our talk. And Ezra's gonna walk his talk. You gotta love this guy. Here's what he's going. There is no way I can ask the king to protect us. Because I've already boasted about my God. So be careful. When you boast about your God, be careful to be the person who's gonna trust their God that you just boasted in. And you gotta love that about Ezra. Now here's what's kind of crazy. We're gonna read in a few weeks, months, well, I think a few weeks, well maybe months, Nehemiah. When Nehemiah goes, Nehemiah takes an entourage of soldiers with him. Why does Nehemiah, and here's what people go, well Nehemiah just didn't have the faith of Ezra. I don't think so. I think it's horrible to pit these two guys against each other. They're entirely different men, and it's fun to read the different accounts, and when we get into Nehemiah, we'll compare them more. But they go, Nehemiah didn't have the faith. No, Nehemiah was on a whole different journey. Ezra is on, quote, a religious journey. Ezra's taking the people back to worship their God. Nehemiah was on a political journey. Two different journeys, so here's what Ezra's doing. I told everybody how great my God is. Maybe Nehemiah didn't tell everybody how great his God was. Ezra said, I told everybody how great my God is, so you know what, I'm not gonna ask the king. So he gets everybody together and he goes, hey guys, we're going, and, and you gotta think about who's going. This is a ragtag, hey, these guys are not soldiers. They were people who were just doing business in Babylon, and who's their leader? A Bible scholar. Think about, think about going on a dangerous journey and your leader's gonna be a professor from some seminary. Oh, thank you, are you gonna protect us? Yeah, I'll think our way through it. 
So that's who you have going. So, so, but listen, listen, as he, as he assesses everything, verse 23 is the key. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayers. They stopped, they humbled themselves, and remember their fast wasn't, God, you have to protect us, so we're gonna have a hunger strike. Their fast was to get their hearts in line with God's heart. And if we will stop sometimes and get our hearts lined up with God's heart, especially as we're getting ready to go on a journey, that then we're gonna see things that we would never see without stopping and doing that. So you gotta love, so he does that. Now, now it's time to go, well, not really. We still got a little bit more to do. This is a long preparation. So you got the heads of the houses together, got all of them named, you got the Levites on board, you got the Nethanim to come and, and do the work, you got all of that together. Now you've prayed and you fasted before God. Now we gotta talk about the stuff, right? Verse 24, and I separated the 12, or separated 12 leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Eshabiah, and 10 of their brethren with them, and they weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the articles, uh, and the articles, the offerings for the house of God, which are king, his counselors, and his princes, and all Israel who, pre, who, uh, who were present had offered. So here's all the stuff. So I, I kind of have a picture of this. I think there's a picture of a big pile of stuff. And he goes, we, we gotta get this stuff to, we gotta take this stuff with us. And so they begin, to, they begin to divvy it all up. Some of, I think some of it might have been just bars of gold, but they had a lot of utensils, a lot of different things that everybody had given them. Now, as we think about that, here's what I really love. I love the fact that that stuff was given, quote, without strings attached. It was given without Ezra begging for people to give. I was reading a commentary or, or a, a testimony uh, today and, and uh, this pastor was saying how every fall he has to go through a giving campaign in his church. And they stop and they talk about giving for a month so people can make pledges, they can make a budget, and they can do all this stuff. And I thought, obviously this is not a Calvary Chapel. That was my first thought. I thought, dude, you are not a Calvary Chapel pastor, are you? And then I think about, and, and I think about why would we spend time trying to convince people they need to give? The whole act of giving that I read from scripture should come from our hearts. And it should be an act of worship. It shouldn't be an act of compulsion. It shouldn't be something we feel that we have to do. I look at it this way. I get to give back to God. And it's a privilege and I would pray that we would think of it that way, not, not have to spend some time. And when I read in the Old Testament, every time we read in the Old Testament, when these guys are overwhelmed with stuff, like here Ezra is overwhelmed with stuff, there wasn't a huge campaign. Here's what happened. Go back to chapter seven. Ezra's going back to Jerusalem. Let's give them all the stuff that we took from them way back, 150 years ago, and let's just give them some more so they'll have a great journey. And people just gave out of their hearts. It wasn't, it wasn't out of compulsion. So he has all of this stuff. So, so now he gathers these 12. And it's interesting, Ezra gathers other people to haul the, the, the stuff. It's always good for leadership not to get their fingers on the money. Not to touch the stuff. And, and you know, we practice that here. Somebody, somebody once asked me just recently about writing a check. And I go, uh, I don't know where the checkbook is. And then I, I asked Pastor Jack, I go, 
can I sign checks? And he goes, I don't think so. We don't want you near that stuff. So. Neither does my wife let me sign checks either. I don't know, it's something about me maybe, but, but hey, I love the idea that he kept it away from him. It wasn't about Ezra, he pushed it away and he got these 12 leaders to oversee it, so then they, they spread it out, so they, they weighed it, look at verse 25, and they weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all of Israel had presented and, and uh, who were present had offered, and I weighed into their hand 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, and 100 talents of gold, 20 gold bases worth a thousand drachmas and two vessels of fine polished bronze precious as gold so you, you kind of you can do all that math and you figure out it's about 51 today's equivalent of 51 million dollars so that's a lot of stuff to be hauling in their days so these guys listen they weighed it all out they took inventory of everything made sure they had it and then listen to what Ezra tells them in verse 28 and I said to them you are holy to the Lord here's what I love he separated these guys out and what's the first thing he tells them you're holy when we read that, we kind of, I think oftentimes when we read somebody about being holy, we think of, you know, halos and, and, and perfection and stuff. Holy just means you're separated unto. So here's what he's telling these guys that are handling this. You need to know something. You're separated unto God. You're in a special, special place that God has placed you to have this privilege of responsibility for this stuff and make sure it gets from here to Jerusalem. It's all you gotta do. And so he lets them know you're holy, and then I love it, not only are you holy, the articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are free will offering to the Lord, to the Lord God of your Father. So you need to know something, you're being entrusted with all of this. And I'm gonna trust you, and the stuff, you need to know this is special stuff. It's not your stuff. So take care of it. And then, verse 29, watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers of the houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. Now, they haven't even started their journey yet. And listen to the heart of Ezra. Make sure this stuff is safe because you're gonna give it to the people when we get there. You're gonna go right into the chamber. Seriously, he's not doubting that they're gonna make it to Jerusalem. There's no doubt in his heart, man. We're going to Jerusalem. So here's the deal. Those guys know what you're supposed to be bringing or I'm gonna have an inventory list and I'm gonna give it to them and when we get there, make sure everything matches up. That's kind of cool accountability, right? So you can't spend on the way, you can't stop like when we're, you know, when we're traveling along, you can't stop and, and get a Starbucks or something on, you know, on the Lord. So we're gonna take all this stuff, so make sure it's all there when you get there. I kind of love that. So there is an element of trust, but there's also an element of accountability, which is good. I think we all should do that. And then he says, and then verse 30 says, so the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Now we're ready to go. Finally, right? We've been, we started actually in chapter seven 
and then we took a couple weeks off. Now, now, now they're ready to go, and, and I can see. And, and I would like a little bit more detail about the journey. Look at how the journey goes. Check this out. Verse 31, then we departed from the river of Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. That's it? But we've been building up to this incredible journey that we're gonna go on, and here's the journey. And the hand of the Lord was upon us, and we got to Jerusalem, and if you remember in chapter seven, verse nine, it says on the first day of the fifth month. So it took them four months, right? So you can go back and read that. But here's the, here's the thing. Like I'm expecting to hear about going through mountain passes, kind of fighting off some people, kind of you know, different things that came up. Because this is a four-month journey. I get a four-month journey. Here's what I get. And the hand of the Lord was upon us, and he delivered us from the enemy and all the ambushes along the road. Don't you wish our journeys were that way? <laughs> At the end, we'd go, and the hand of the Lord was upon us, and he delivered us, and woohoo, we're there. Kind of nothing. Why do we get nothing? Because the journey wasn't important. It was preparing for the journey, it's getting the right stuff, and then it's arriving. Now, imagine, imagine our hearts as they arrived in Jerusalem. Finally, man, they made it to Jerusalem. I got to say, I don't think any of the people here had seen Jerusalem. If we're talking 20 years to build, we're talking, we're talking 80 years ago when the first people left, I don't think, and I could be wrong, I don't think too many 80-year-olds took the journey. Just saying. So, and plus they were in captivity for 70 years, so now they got to be 150 years old if they had seen. Now, I don't think too many people 150 took the journey. So I'm thinking, hey, this is a whole generation. And I, I believe they had great expectations of what they're gonna see. They had to be excited. The Levites had to be almost out of their minds, right? Because, hey, that's, that's what they were created for. And they bring all of this stuff and, and they make it, man. They finally get there. You're there. And you see the glory of the temple. Now, we read that the old people who saw the temple being built, well, that's not like the temple we had, and kind of thing, and we talked about that. But, but just imagine their excitement. And then verse 33, so they rest for three days. That's always good, right? It rested up. Now, on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Miramoth, the son of Uriah, the priest. With him was Eliezer, Eliezer the son of Phinehas. And uh, uh, with them were the Levites, Jazabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui, uh, the son of Benui, with the number and the weight of everything, and all the weight was written down at that time. So they come in, and they take inventory, and we got these guys here doing the inventory. And it was all written down, and guess what? It was all there. How exciting. How exciting for, think about, think about the people who went earlier. And they didn't have the stuff. Remember, they went, they built the temple, 
but they didn't have all the articles. And now you show up and you've done this four and a half, five month journey and now you weigh all that stuff and it's all there. What are you gonna do, saint? See, you had the preparation time of getting ready for the journey. You got ready, you did the journey. Now you're there and I believe you've had all that time to think about what is it gonna be like? And you're in the chamber, and then it says, verse 35, it says, the children of those who had been carried away captive and who had come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. So here's their worship. They're gonna come and they're gonna offer burnt offerings, the sin offering, the very thing. Listen, these guys had never been able to do that. They've only read about that. And they only had Ezra, the scholar, to tell them what happened as they're reading the Old Testament and, and looking at Leviticus and, 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 and how to prepare the offerings, how to do the offerings. And now for the first time in their life, do you remember the first time you worship God as a Christian? How sweet that was. Do you remember opening up your Bible when it finally made sense? And you go, wow. This is real. Imagine these people. Imagine Ezra being there who had waited all of his life for this, this moment and they began doing the offerings and, and it says 12 bulls for all of Israel. You know what? That's something you might want to underline because a whole bunch of people are, are really into still even today that 10 of the tribes got lost. Here it says for all of Israel, not just Judah and Benjamin, all of Israel and how many bulls? Not two, 12 bulls. One bull for every tribe. Listen, 12 bulls for all of Israel, 96 rams, 70 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. And all of this was a burnt offering before the Lord. So now they come and there's full on worship before the Lord. Why? Because they made the journey. And they're honoring their God for bringing them from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they have this humongous time of worship. And again, I think, I think, it, was, I think it was a time where there's, a, there's this tremendous expectation. And God meets them there. How great that is. I don't think there's ever an experience that we can ever experience like being in the presence of God. And you know what I love, saints? We don't need bulls. We don't need rams. We don't need goats. All we need to do is bow our heart. Bow our heart and we can come before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe our most precious time of worship should be alone. I love corporate worship. I think it's great. But that precious time should be that time we're alone in the presence of God and allowing him into our hearts and into our lives. And there's just that intimacy with him. And man, I gotta tell you, I think these guys are absolutely blown away. What a great journey. And then verse 36, so, so notice as they get there, the first thing they do is they honor the Lord. And they spend that time. Now, check out what they do now. Here's, what I, here, here, here's something that I love. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and governors in the region beyond the river. So here's what happened. They had permission to go back from Artaxerxes. So they went back 
and they sat before their God and they met with their God. Then they go before the people, the rulers, and they go, oh, by the way, here's the letter from Artaxerxes that gives us permission to do what we're doing and to be here. So get out of our face. I don't know if they said it like that, but I think they, I think they did. And they said, hey, we're here. So they gave the support. So, so look what happens to those people. So in, at the end of verse 36, so they gave support to the people and to the house of God. You know, sometimes I think when we stand our ground, we make a stronger statement than when we cave and don't stand our ground. And we need to be people who, we're not ashamed that we worship God. We're not ashamed, you know. We shouldn't be ashamed because, hey, I'm going to church unless you're speeding and you get stopped and the officer's saying, where are you on your way to? Do not tell them to church. <laughs> tell them you were just out for a drive. But we, should, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be worried about it and ashamed of it. We should, be, we should be people, hey, I'm going to worship my God. It's okay to worship God. I think sometimes we get defensive for this reason. We're afraid we're gonna get some backlash. It's okay if people give you backlash. I don't know if you know this, but not everybody's a believer. <laughs> and as you talk to people, you shouldn't expect them to behave like believers and act by, like believers. It's okay. But our problem is we get uptight. Why do we get uptight? It's okay. Hey, if somebody says, really, you worship God? Why would you do that? Well, let me tell you. And we begin to explain to them, can you imagine these guys when they met with the satraps? What are you guys doing here? We came to worship our God. Why'd you come to worship our God? Well, for 150 years, we've been sitting over in Babylon waiting for this moment. Because we know that Jeremiah wrote and said, we're gonna come back. And we know a whole bunch of people came back 80 years ago, but we didn't get to come back with them for whatever reason. And now we're here today and, and we came to worship our God. And we're not ashamed of it. We're not afraid to tell you. And we do have a letter from, the, from the, the, the king that gives us permission. But even with or without that letter, we're worshiping our God. And the people, the people, it says the people supported them. And you gotta love it. So next time we can kind of continue on. But we finally made it to Jerusalem. So we've been on this journey with Ezra for a really long time. If Get in your notes and find out when we started Ezra. And then we took off and we read about Esther and everything that went on with her. And then we came back and then we did Christmas and some Q&As. And now finally we're in Jerusalem. Now, here's where I think, this is my personal opinion, this is where Ezra gets really good. So all that we've been doing all this time is preparation to see what really happens with Ezra as he gets back. But as we get ready to leave tonight, here's what I want to ask us. Are you prepared for the journey? Hey, starting a new year, perfect message, right? Are you prepared for the journey you're gonna have this year? Are you ready to, do, to, to, to see what God is going to do in your life this year? Everybody's making a big deal. This is 2020, right? So the year of the vision. I am so tired of that. I shouldn't have said that because the conference is about 2020 vision. <laughs> Oops. Well, everybody's doing it. So, hey, so, but shouldn't every year be the year of the vision? Here's what I know. God's ha God has something for every one of us this year. Something specific, 
something, I believe, intense. Are you ready? Have you prepared? Let's go on this journey together and let's watch. I, I believe he's got something great for our fellowship that he's gonna do, some things that we haven't even thought of yet and some things for us individually. So let's prepare ourselves. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. I thank you, God, that as we, as we read your word, and Lord, I, I pray that we understand that was just a bunch of people, just like we're a bunch of people. They weren't some kind of super Christian or super saint or put together in some special way that they could handle those kind of things. But that, those 1,500 guys, those 38 Levites and 220 Nephilim, all of those people, they're just people. And they're just people walking with their God. And I pray for myself I pray for our body here that, Lord, we would look at our life as this journey with our God and that you've opened up a way and given us a way that we can, we can walk through and have this journey with you that has to be incredible. And I know we didn't, we didn't get a lot of information from them, but I know along the way, they met some obstacles. They met some difficulties. They met some hardships. They met some things that they never dreamt that, that would come their way. And yet at the end, there they are in Jerusalem. And I know that's a reality for every single one of us. We have a journey. And in that journey, there's a lot of different things that are gonna happen. And I pray, I pray that we could be like Ezra and we could trust our God in that journey and in those circumstances. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.